I'm really glad that uh, I didn't know you when Star Wars first came out. Dude, Vader is Luke's father. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 50 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Jameson Dance. Hello friends. We have Joe Eames. Hey everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm the only person on this particular episode whose name does not start with J. (laughs) We also have, I know I'm going to destroy this name, Uh, Jorn Zafferer. Hey, yeah, that's me. Uh, Should have practiced the last name too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you should pronounce it correctly for us so we know. Jorn Seferan. All right. Well, I can say Jorn, so I'm going to stick with that. Um, yeah, that works. Do you want to introduce yourself for the people who aren't aware of who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm a freelance software developer since a little bit more than two years now. I'm involved a lot in the jQuery project and have been involved in that for years. So far, I'm the only a uh, person on the board of directors of the jQuery Foundation outside of the U.S. And uh, for the jQuery project, I'm working mostly on jQuery UI and the testing tools. So for jQuery UI, I'm one of the lead developers along with Scott Gonzalez. For the testing tools, I'm, I'm leading that team. So I'm trying to uh, get contributions from other people in so that things move along. Even if there's, there's usually much more work to do than I can handle myself. So trying to my best to get open source going there. So you work on jQuery UI and QUnit? I'm working on the jQuery UI and the testing tools, which involves QUnit and a few other things. Oh, okay. um, QUnit is the one that's actually featured on the jQuery sites. We also have test swarm and some even smaller tools that eventually should get there as well. It's, they are much more in flux than QUnit is. Interesting. So uh, we brought you on the show to talk about QUnit. Um, sure. Uh, Joe is kind of our testing guru um, as far as JavaScript goes. Is is QUnit just a unit testing framework, or do you provide other tools for um, like integration with a backend or, or other libraries? So QUnit focuses mostly on unit testing, but people usually end up using it for other things as well. I heard a story where someone was using QUnit to do performance regression testing. So you can do that with QUnit. It's pretty customizable if you want to. But the focus is very much on testing JavaScript libraries within the browser. So so it's mostly browser-based? Yeah. That, that's the, the focus, and that's basically where all the like new features or improvements go to. So, that, for example, within Node.js, there are a lot of alternatives uh, which make more sense within Nodes. So that's not something that we focus on. Okay. So QUnit, before the show and before the intro, when you gave us a little bit longer explanation that I'm going to ask you for in a minute, all I really knew about QUnit's origins was that it came out of jQuery one way or the other. Do you want to explain where QUnit came from? Sure. So QUnit 
the, the code base was originally written by John Resig as part of the starting uh, jQuery itself. So in 2006, uh, he figured that using unit testing is useful, especially for a complex library like um, like jQuery, where having automated tests that can just run in multiple browsers is pretty useful. And in early 2006, when I got involved in, in jQuery, my first contribution was actually to write more tests because the coverage was like 2% or something. And later I worked on the Ajax module in, in jQuery. So it was like second half of 2006. And I extended a test runner there to actually make async testing possible. Like originally it didn't support that. And how recent was that? Was oh, you're, you're still talking about the internal jQuery stuff before QUnit. Yeah, so that was oh, okay. before QUnit actually existed. As such. Sure. So th there was just the code base. And then in 2008, uh, I think I suggested to John to actually make this a standalone project and then gave it the name QUnit. was like the Q from jQuery and the unit from JUnit. And I wrote the documentation to just document the API and we moved the code around inside the subversion repository that we were using back then so that other projects could start using it. So jQuery UI already existed then. We used it there. Um, jQuery Mobile would later start using it, and other people could start using it. It wasn't really promoted anywhere on the jQuery site. It was just a page on the wiki. A little later, I think 2009, uh, John did the rewrite to actually make QUnit independent of jQuery. Originally, QUnit itself was using jQuery to do all the DOM stuff. You get rid of that dependency, which means there's now more DOM handling stuff inside QUnit, but it's it doesn't do that much, so it's still pretty sane. And yeah, pretty much since I gave it the name, I also kept maintaining QUnit. And since last year, we actually now have a proper website at qnitjs.com and it's nice API documentation and more like tutorials and stuff. There's actually one chapter from the jQuery cookbook that I originally wrote for the book with also with Scott Gonzalez. And that's now as a page on the on the J, uh, on the QUnit website. Nice. Cool. It's a good introduction if you get started with QUnit. My favorite part of this podcast is gonna be finding out why you named it QUnit. <laughs> podcast has yeah. only just begun. There's plenty of time for more favorite parts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's pretty much the story behind the name. I mean, um, you already pronounced it correctly. Sometimes people say QNIT, but that's not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since it came out of jQuery, I was thinking jQuNIT or something. I don't know. QNIT. <laughs> It'd be awesome. So I've, I haven't used QUNIT in a project, but I've been looking over the documentation a little bit just to prepare for this. And one thing okay. that seems interesting that... It, um, isn't as common or as easily accessible in other frameworks is it looks like QUnit has built-in support for actual HTML fixtures for your tests. It, it, am I correct about that? Or Yeah, so that's actually a pretty useful feature of QUnit. The idea is that um, let's say you're, you're writing a jQuery plugin and that works on some amount of existing markup. For example, jQuery I widgets Let's say the autocomplete, you start with an input element, that's it. So you would just put an input into the QUnit fixture, which is just an element with the ID QUnit-fixture. And then QUnit will take care of resetting that 
that markup or that element after each test. So you can, in each test, you can start with that same element and you don't have to worry about uh, like providing the markup. So you provide the markup in your test and it goes inside that QUnit fixture div and then gets yeah. wiped out between every test? It's right. not quite so inside the test, it's inside the HTML page that runs your test. Yeah, that, that's, that's a better description. So uh, you can either have markup in there inside the HTML file or each test can just put something into that element and don't have to worry about removing it later because that's what QUnit does for you. But it's oh, okay. not a requirement. If if you leave out that that element in your HTML file, then QNet will, will won't bother with it, and just you have to provide. If you actually have markup that you test against, you just have to provide that yourself. So um, one thing that I've I've noticed is that in a lot of cases, in a lot of the languages that I deal with, um, there seem to be two kind of schools of thought around unit testing and testing in general, and so uh, there are usually libraries that take one approach or the other. So QUnit, like JUnit and some of these others, uh, takes the approach of giving you an assertion. So you have like the equal assertion and you give it um, the expected value and the actual value and um, an error message and then it will, you know, put up the error message and tell you that the, the assertion failed if it doesn't match. And then you have the other... Um, the other way of looking at things like Jasmine, where you have some kind of thing where it's like expect true dot to be whatever. Do you see any major advantages to using uh, the assertions as opposed to the expectations? So, I mean, both styles are, are valid. Uh, some people prefer the one or the other. There are actually two uh, add-ons for QUnit, which basically wrap QUnit and give you this Behavior-driven style. Um, I think you can. We have show, uh, show notes, so we can provide links to those. They also on the QUnit website under add-ons. So Spacket and Pavlov both provide BDD-style testing APIs on top of QUnit. So far, like there, so like enough people who like QUnit just the way it is, myself included. Enough people like the BDD style. Either they use something like Jasmine or uh, used one of the add-ons and still have the underlying QUnit. So I, I don't have strong opinions about those. I, I prefer the, the simple like third style that JUnit had. Sometimes people complain about that if you use, for example, jQuery's equal method, then you have to remember that the actual argument comes first and the expected argument comes second. Like with the, with the BDD style, the API is suggest which one is which and you don't have to remember the order but this is like you look it up once you remember it and if you get it you look it up again and then you probably remember it and that's it like it's not something that you actually have to bother with more than twice so my my problem with that is that if i use a server-side one that does it the opposite way then it's hard when you're going back and forth on a single project i've got caught by that a bunch of times yeah, that that can be annoying. But that, that's why I mean, you use Rails on the back end. <laughs> Good so, idea. But, but I think if if you take all these search libraries from different frameworks, uh, there's no consensus of which, uh, like which, uh, in which order the arguments should be. So usually you end up with saying, like, let's make the methods in a way where the order doesn't matter because you say expect this to be 
that's it's it's not ambiguous. So one thing that I want to point out here, because uh, I I got in here and uh, I realized that there are a few of these assertions that I really really like that I don't have in some of the other tools that I use. For example, the deep equal. That's cool. Yeah, deep equal is pretty useful. Um, it allows you to pass in any objects, and then we'll try to figure out if there's anything inside that object that doesn't match. So it doesn't just compare the identity like the regular equal or strict equal will do. It actually looks inside the object. And th this is something that originally someone, uh, I think his name is Philip, uh, contributed. There's a big, pretty big test suite attached to that. So QUnit actually uses QUnit itself to test a lot of its own features. And the deep equal unit tests are pretty extensive. They cover like cyclical dependencies where one object points to itself on a leaf and compares like functions and regular expressions and dates and whatnot. So it's really useful if, uh, to just compare any objects where you don't just want to have one line for each property that you care about. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I guess that's one question that I have is if you have two objects that effectively define the same function but don't use the same reference to the same function, do they match on deep equal? Not sh exactly sure about functions. Like I, I don't have the implementation memorized for these details. But okay, what? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, well, that, it'd be interesting to know. I'll just go check it out myself. One other thing I want to point out on the QUnit site that I really, really, really liked. Um, you have an intro to unit testing. Yeah. And the thing that I like the most about this is not actually telling people how to write unit tests. It's the fact that you make it, ref it, there are like three or four refactoring stages through the through the tutorial. No, I guess there are just two. But you refactor it down to the point where it, you know, it's easier to manage, it's easier to think about, and easier to test. And, and it really kind of pushes people to think about that as they work through their examples and make sure that they match up um, with what's there. I, I just, I was really, really impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually an article I originally wrote for uh, Smashing Magazine, and they agreed to a like, non-exclusive license so that I could later publish that article on the QNIT site. And th this idea started when I was actually sitting next to someone who was asking me about QUnit and the code he had was just embedded into the page. And it was pretty, cl I think, pretty close to the example that the article uses. And I figured like, explaining how to refactor your code to make it unit testable would be really useful for a lot of other people. So the, the code samples are somewhat convoluted, but I think the example itself is still pretty, pretty nice. Just to, to yeah, give an idea awesome. how you can... To, to get started with actual unit testing, which is not so much about learning the framework, but just figuring out how to actually make your code unit testable and refracting is a big part of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pick it for this show because we're talking about it, but I'm probably going to wind up picking it for Ruby Rogues and stuff just because just I love the way that this is put together. It, it, yeah. It's self-explanatory, and it really does drive home, look, it, it makes the code better, it makes it easier to, to manage and understand. You get tests around it and you know that it works. I mean, there are just huge, huge benefits to this this way of approaching a programming problem. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I have a question. Testing frameworks in JavaScript are proliferating 
and and there's more every day and it seems like every time someone runs into a little hiccup with a testing framework they think the best solution is to write their own so there's tons of them out there why use QUnit instead of one of the many other ones out there so there's actually a Stack Overflow question, which I once answered, and I think I'm getting a lot of Stack Overflow reputation from people just uploading that. Um, oh, was nice. asking you like trade those in for yeah, uh, so, bitcoins, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think that works. So the, the question was, should I use QUnit or Jasmine? Like those are, seem to be the two mo most popular choices. <clears throat> I, and I wrote that. So one big argument for QUnit is that it's really easy to get started with. Like it's, you just take these two files from QUnit, one JS, one CSS file, you add a diff with an ID of QUnit and then write a test and that's it. You don't need to set up any reporters. Uh, there's nothing else that you need to do. So, and we, we actually recently did it, did a survey for QUnit to figure out what people like or don't like about QUnit, what we should add or remove. And the ease of use was basically the one argument that everyone mentioned that they really like that. So otherwise, Jasmine has the BDD style syntax. If you don't want to use QUnit with, with a wrapper, that might be a good idea to just uh, start with Jasmine. They have certainly have other features that QUnit doesn't have and didn't ever really use any other frameworks. So I'm not the best person to ask about those. There's probably other people that have more experience using a wide range of testing frameworks. I mean, both probably get the job done. So. Yeah, it, they, if if you have people already familiar with Jasmine, that might be better to get started with. Um, one thing worth mentioning, maybe. So the uh, Amber Jazz team, like Yehuda and uh, I think Tom Dale and whoever else is on their team, uh, they keep telling me that they really like uh, QUnit because it's so freaking stable. Like it does exactly what they they wanted to do, and it does it really well. And Yehuda. Also has the given advantage of if if he comes up with a feature request, um, I, well, I I care about his his ideas. So uh, if, if they're reasonable, then there's a good chance that they actually make it into QUnit, which generally applies to to every feature request. But uh, I guess Yuda has a certain advantage there. Yeah, it helps if you're on the if you're on have the jQuery connections probably. I think there's another. Uh, Big advantage that QUnit has over the others, and that is uh, most of the others, um, certainly the uh, ones that are pretty popular, which I would lump Jasmine for sure, and I think Mocha's gaining a lot of popularity. Um, although Mocha's really, really flexible in this, but QUnit by default has the uh, non BDD style, and that actually typically simulates what server side testing frameworks use. Most server side testing frameworks, JUnit, uh, CSUnit, um, the other .NET ones, those are using Ruby the non has style. Ruby so. mini test and test unit. Right. Okay. Right. So it's it makes it more familiar. If you're both, if you're not just writing JavaScript, if you're writing server side and client side code, you don't have to switch your brain context. I know. I know. There's plenty of BDD style frameworks for the server side too, but it just I think the non BDD style ones are more common. Yeah. The other thing that I, I really that appeals to me out of QUnit is the fact that since it came out of jQuery, it's designed to work with jQuery. And, you know, most of the other frameworks, they work fine with jQuery, but the fact that it's, you know, part of the jQuery suite of tools that are out there, you know, it does have that where, you know, you can pretty well count on if you're writing DOM-related code, QUnit will probably test it well. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I don't know of any particular issues with other framework in that regard. But for example, the fixture thing that we talked about, that's very dumb focused and wouldn't make sense on the server side. So that might be a good reason to use QUnit. There's actually a few features that I hope other people will pick up and put into their own frameworks that might currently be specific to QNet. I haven't actually checked if someone else does this, but there's uh, like some details inside QUnit that you don't notice until you really use it for a long time or at least more than just a few hours. Like QNet tries to be as, as useful as possible to help you be efficient with uh, your development. So for example, when, when a search fails without actually throwing exception, just something goes bad. Um, actually, I need to skip back a little bit. So one important thing about QUnit designs is that when an assertion fails, it doesn't actually throw an assertion error or assertion exceptions. Like, for example, JUnit does that, and I think a lot of other frameworks do it. So QUnit just tries to go, go on, and as long as the code doesn't actually throw an exception, it tries to run the test uh, until the end, which means that um, you may, oh. may get more assertions that fail, which doesn't necessarily tell you more, but sometimes it's actually useful to see all the assertions run, and one of the later ones might actually give away uh, the actual issue, while the first one that failed might actually be pretty useless. So if, if, if it just fails as soon as something goes wrong, you don't know if everything else would actually have worked. And the thing is that as soon as something fails, QUnit tries to actually tell you exactly where that code is coming from. So even without an exception uh, being thrown, then QUnit tries to figure out Where's the assertion that you ran in your code and tell you which line in your user code is? If, if there's, if it's like nested, if you have a test that calls a method that calls another method and those go through different files and then actually provides you a stack trace with all those files. But because you don't really care where, um, like which lines of code within QNIT itself run, it will actually filter those out. So you only see your own code in, in the stack trace. And that's cool. That's really so, nice. Um, it doesn't try to like implement the stack trace stuff. Uh, like there's a library called stack trace.js or something like that, which actually like will download files and try to figure out where exactly the code is that just ran. Greenland doesn't do that. So in like IE 8, you don't get stack traces, but pretty much any browser that does support like extracting stack traces and generating them on the fly, um, uh, unit will make use of that. So that's one thing that makes development pretty pretty nice because once something fails, it's really easy to um, point out which lines you have to look at, like where's the search and that failed. And so there's there's a feature that actually required a, quite the big refactoring inside QNIT itself, which I, can't, I wouldn't say I stole it, but I get certainly a lot of inspiration for that feature from Ken Beck, who originally created uh, JUnit with, I think, Eric Gummer on the plane. So uh, he, he once built a tool, I think it was in the plugin for Eclipse, that will, would allow you, basically was it like JUnit runner inside Eclipse. And one big idea was that usually when a test fails, it's much more likely that it will fail again on the next run. While if a test passed, it's likely that it will pass again. So running those failing tests first, especially if they take very little time, gives you feedback much faster. In, in his tool, I think he actually built something where it would show you in your source file where something threw an exception. So like the edit integration, I figured that was too much, but I liked the idea of running tests that 
failed before. So what QNet now does, if session storage is supported by your browser, it stores when a test fails and on the next run runs that test first. So usually if you, if you see a test failing, you can just reload the page after fixing something and if it doesn't, isn't read again, then you know, okay, I fixed this. And then you can still wait for the, for the full suite to run to see if there's no other regressions. But usually it means if your test suite takes like, let's say a minute to run, which can happen after a few months of development, uh, your, the failing test will run first and then you get feedback much faster. And QNet also has this checkbox at, at the header, uh, where it says hide, uh, hide past tests. And that means hide everything that's green and only show failures. And if you combine that with the with the session storage thing, then you actually uh, get to see the failures first, and it just hides everything else. And you, it's very useful if you do like test-driven development because it allows you to focus so much more on things that actually went wrong, and you don't have to bother looking at this stuff that just went green. It's not on by default because it's uh, can be irritating if if it doesn't show any tests. But once you enable it, it remembers the, the checkbox and you can just reload the page and it keeps that state. That's really cool. I've seen I've seen them where basically it does that. It runs the failing tests or the failings um, test file. And then once once that passes, then it'll run your full suite again. Yeah, it's really cool. But and uh, the, yeah, it's really cool. The order in which it outputs the test is still the original one. Like it it only reorders the, the Let's say the runtime, so it runs the failing test first, but the output order is the same, so it doesn't. Um, like it's not distracting, so you don't have to find your test because now the order just suddenly changed. Yeah, Kent. I also really, really admire Kent. So anything you can attach his name to, <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about that. <laughs> but that brings me to a um, big rant I have about JavaScript unit testing frameworks in general. And all of them are guilty of this, and that is the unit, the user interface, uh, ex the user experience for somebody using them. I think is just terrible compared, especially compared to the long-running uh, server-side test frameworks where you can like, oh, I want to run this test and this test and this test and these three tests and these five tests and make a session out of that and then just run those five. Right? Yeah. They none of them have that feature. That feature or. Um, nice ability to like collapse and expand tests and um, the keynote is probably the best at showing me the failing tests in Mocha. If you say, show me the failing test, you still, I mean, we have 420 tests right now in our unit suite, which is nothing. And still it takes me a ton of time scrolling around to find the freaking failing test, even if I check the, click the only failing tests. Okay. So Kuna um, actually has some filters. It might be not as flexible as what you're looking for. But uh, you can like just hide all the the past tests. That's something I mentioned before. Uh, right. You also, at least if, if you're using a newer versions of QNet, um, there's a select box at the top right that actually allows you to select the module to run. So in QNet, you you structure your tests and or like you put assertions into tests and then you put tests into modules. So for example, in jQuery UI, we have a module for some uh, option testing for testing methods for testing events and each one of those is grouped in the module and selecting module will run only the test within that one module you can also click the rerun link next to any test and then it'll rerun only that one test 
Right. And there's actually a, a wildcard filter where you can like put uh, into the URL of your test we put there. Uh, I think it's unit dash filter or just filter equal and then some value and then it will only match tests that, that match that wildcard, which would allow you to like match tests from various modules if that if that's something that you're looking for. It's not necessarily quite as flexible as some other tools are, but um, so that's something that you actually would like, then uh, following an issue would, would be a good first step. Right. It's open source. You can always patch it and then hand it over, hand a patch over. Right. Um, just out of curiosity, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with, with a, a jQuery uh, unit. <laughs> but um, when you do the filtering, when I click on a module and it just runs the test within that module, is that just doing a name matchup on the name of the module? Yeah, pretty much. A string name. Yeah. So I, I've noticed this with... Uh, uh, some of the other ones, I, I haven't used QUnit in production in a little while, um, but with the other ones that I've used, they do the same thing. It's just a string matchup. So if you have two modules, that one is basically, you know, like app, app module called app, and another one called app stuff, and I click on app, it'll run app and app stuff because app still matches app stuff, right. you know. And so that that could be another, you know, again, it's just that that. Those tools for the server-side testing, people have been building those for a long time, and they're getting a lot more usage than they're getting out of client-side. Very few people are testing client-side. So yeah, it's true. There's definitely I mean, a lot better scenario. Yeah, so I'm actually not... It might be that Unit actually does a strict matching on the module name, because um, originally we only had the, the filter option that would always do wildcard, uh, right. but that's... Like, the UI doesn't expose that anywhere. You can still use it. You find it, it's in the documentation, but... The idea is mostly to actually use the well, the UI, what the UI exposes. I can't tell right now if it does the strict matching or not, but it probably should. Yeah one one thing that I'm I want to ask about that uh, I've noticed with a lot of these frameworks is that you basically embed your tests into a web page and then you pull up the web page and it shows you which ones passed and which ones failed. And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, does that integrate well with uh, continuous integration setups? So that's a fun topic. Um, and I, mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier this uh, survey that we did for QUnit and um, so some people already use QUnit within continuous integration like Jenkins and other tools. Other people would like to use it but don't know how and didn't want to spend the, the time to figure it out. So there are various options already like all the jQuery projects use uh, Jenkins along uh, to like do continuous integration for their projects. They're like the simple solution and maybe the most popular is to use Phantom JS. For example, mm -hmm. you can use the Grand Contrib QUnit uh, plugin, and that will just use Phantom JS to run your tests. Phantom JS is pretty nice on the one hand because it, it's mm -hmm. uh, pretty close to an actual browser; it doesn't try to simulate it. Uh, and but now it's actually working pretty well, so it it gets you somewhat close to to an actual browser environment because it builds on top of WebKit. I think it's Qt WebKit. On the, on the other hand, it sometimes produces uh, failures that only happen within Phantom, and the, the debugging those is, is really annoying. And it still doesn't cover all the issues that other 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 browsers have. But it it uh, it's really to get running within like 
uh, Jenkins and other tools, and it works. Uh, it's, it comes pretty much pre-installed in Travis. You use that for open source projects. So that's that's really easy to set up. For the jQuery projects, we currently use a setup that's uh, currently at least slightly, if not a lot more complicated. Um, going to share a link for the show notes that describes that it's the, the article isn't quite up to date anymore, but the basic setup is still the same. So for jQuery, we use um, a tool called Test Swarm, which, as most of the jQuery projects, was originally started by John Resig. And we use that in combination with Jenkins as our CI tool, which just pulls uh, commits from GitHub whenever GitHub does a push notification and then uses Grunt to like do some basic testing, linting, using PhantomJS to run test ones. And then we'll submit the job to TestSwarm. TestSwarm is this kind of testing hub. So it accepts jobs and then browsers, which are the, the TestSwarm clients, can connect to TestSwarm. And when TestSwarm has jobs to run, then TestSwarm will distribute those to the connected clients. There are similar tools to TestSwarm, but I think TestSwarm is still the, the exception that it tries to just cover cover as many browsers as possible so that we can actually test uh, things in every browser that we support, which for jQuery, at least the 1.9, uh, like the, the non-2.0 branches is still a lot of browsers. In order to actually have enough clients connected all the time, we now use another tool called Browser Stack. This is a third-party platform. They uh, like sponsor open source projects, so you can use it for free. It's also really useful to do just day-to-day -to -day testing. For example, I use Browser Stack to do any testing in IE instead of jump starting a virtual machine on my own computer. They now also have support for mobile browsers, which we don't really use yet, but planning to, to make use of for jQuery Mobile. So, for example, for jQuery UI, the, the idea is that we, I push a commit to GitHub. GitHub does a notification to Jenkins. Jenkins runs some basic checks, then submits the job to TestSwarm. We have another little tool running that asks TestSwarm which browsers do you need. When the jobs come in, TestSwarm will say, okay, I need Firefox, uh, current, and minus one, and so on. And then uh, it tells the browser stack API to start workers for all of these browsers. And then does that like once or twice a minute to start and stop, stop these workers until all the tests ran. And that, that's pretty much fully automated, and all the tools are like, free to use for anyone. Um, it's not quite trivial to set up, but uh, once you have it working, it's, it's really useful. We get a lot of, well, a lot of test coverage, especially like for any jQuery commit. If all the jobs run, I once did a calculation. We had several thousand tests running for single commits, so across like browsers and different jQuery versions. So we actually use that as well to test jQuery UI against, I think, three or even five different jQuery core versions. So you get a lot of coverage there, and it's all automated. It's not without issues. Uh, we're actually working with the browser stack team to get rid of the very small issues that sometimes cause, cause otherwise valid tests to fail. Um, but it's, it's gotten a lot better over the last six months. And once uh, test form reaches uh, 2.0 release, we're also got, going to set up a proper test page, uh, not test page, proper website for that, and it will become another like official member of the jQuery project or jQuery foundation. Currently, it's um, 
not as easy to find. And currently there's no actual website. So swarm.jQuery.org is what we use for own testing. That's one our test form instance, but it's not in the test swarm homepage. Oh, okay. So I guess it, test form is currently on, on GitHub there you can find it and use it and has the documentation on installing and using it, but uh, there's no official homepage beyond that. But we'll, we'll, I think we'll get there in the next few months as well. Cool. That was a very complete answer that totally preempted my questions about key unit as part of a larger test infrastructure. So I'm really glad you so, explained all that. Cool. So uh, I'm actually planning to um, like make the at least put more information on the key unit website itself about uh, key unit and continuous integration to to highlight what other options are there and maybe provide some code or tutorials for some of these solutions. Not sure yet which ones we'll get to, but um, general QNet should uh, at least point people in the right direction so that they can find the tools that are already out there or help create the tools that are missing right now. So I have a question for you, Jorn. Uh This is a kind of an abstract question, but being as you're so heavily involved in testing, I'm very curious about what you feel. Uh, JavaScript, testing in JavaScript is hard, and it sucks, and very few people do it. And uh, so it's not being improved at nearly the rate of a lot of other things are being improved at in JavaScript. What do you think the future holds for unit testing, test-driven development in JavaScript, uh, continuous integration testing, full end-to-end testing, and what are the things that we need uh, to get done as an industry to make testing more widespread and commonplace? So that's a loaded question. Yes. <laughs> So there's uh, a few things. So tools like Browser Stack and uh, something that's doing similar things uh, called Source Labs, those are huge improvements for testing anything in, the, in, in browsers because they actually allow us to tell remote browsers or virtual machines to run our, our tests and not bother having to set up that ourselves. And just for like regular manual testing, being able to just open another tab and say open this page and click around in, the, in there. At least for browser stack, it's a flash-based player. That's a huge improvement. Uh, that can help for unit testing to to like run your tests, uh, but it still currently requires a lot of setup. Uh, we we once talked with the browser stack team. They well, they had the idea of integrating test swarm into their platform. Um, I'm not sure whether that like as far as I can tell so far that didn't go anywhere. But then they also keep improving their platform a lot, so I guess their, their priorities are uh, elsewhere right now. Uh, but it, I think that uh, having more tools, like um, let's say test, the combination of test form and browser stack, having that packaged up and more ready to use than it's currently uh, would be a big improvement. Uh, there's, there's one thing, so I, meant, I talked about test form, which actually has a like database backend where it actually stores test runs. There are a lot of other tools now, for example, Testacular, which uh, comes from the AngularJS team, and a few others um, that do have a similarity with TestForm in that like, the idea is that you tell the tool to run these tests and it'll run, these, run them in as many browsers as possible. But instead of storing the result, they just tell you if it's, if it's successful or not. So they basically make a... Like make a more stateless tool which you can just run on the command line. And within the jQuery testing team, we actually have a few ideas uh, for something which um, 
one guy that I work with currently just calls test form next. I, I don't know if that, that ever will, will happen, but the idea there is to have something that also uses, for example, browser stack or maybe source labs to run tests, but at the same time, uh, just is available as a command line tool that you can run locally. So instead of running my unit based tests in one browser, in my case, that's usually Chrome. And when I'm done developing a feature to run the same tests in a few other browsers, I would just tell this tool run these tests. And if it uses browser stack, it could run it in every browser that, that I support. And that doesn't quite exist yet. So for example, t uh, testacular only allows you to point at JavaScript files that you can contain your tests. While QUnit has always the setup where you have an HTML page where your tests are embedded, which is like both approaches probably work, but if, if you're using QGNet, it's like getting it to run within Testacular isn't trivial, even if they now, I think they now have support for QGNet, but you still have to rewrite your tests to get rid of that HTML page dependency. So having a tool that actually allows you to just say, this is the test page I, I run in my browser, run that in a dozen other browsers, that would be a lot more useful. And so the other thing is like there's Selenium, which is, Kind of like the de uh, democracy, it sucks, but it's the best we got. <laughs> so awesome! I think thing that, it's, for what it it's does. getting better. Uh, there's now attempts to actually get the web driver API standardized so that browsers can support that natively. And the more browsers that support that, and the better this API these API gets the better tools like Selenium might get. So I've, I've never spent too much time with Selenium myself. Uh, I was in various projects where people used it, and while they didn't have much alternatives, they also cursed a lot at it. So I think getting, like improving that, making it more reliable, and having much less problems that are just based on the tool and not actual issues in your application would be a big improvement. So I want to so, ask about uh, some of the other options for writing JavaScript, like TypeScript or CoffeeScript. Have you seen people writing QUnit tests for that or in those languages? So I like JavaScript. I don't really bother type, like using TypeScript or CoffeeScript. And given, let's say, given the bug reports or feature requests I get for QUnit, I don't think I ever saw anyone using CoffeeScript in the examples. So that doesn't seem to be much of a thing. Okay. I mean, either, so, no, not really. It seems like something that's um, below key units' responsibility, though. I mean, key unit shouldn't really have to know or care as long as it gets it's something that can get translated to JS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess if, if you take the percentage of people writing unit tests and the percentage of people uh, using CoffeeScript or TypeScript and multiply that, the resulting percentage is really, really small, so <laughs> I, I get, didn't okay. get to see anything. And, and the people, the percentage of people actually getting involved in open source projects and reporting issues or even... Well, and the people that requests. are using QUnit as opposed to the other ones, too. Yeah, so yes, no one, no one from that group made it to QUnit yet. Yeah. If, you're, if you're one of those two people, please dial in. <laughs> <laughs> if there is anyone. All right. Well, if there aren't any other questions, I guess we'll get to the picks. Any final thoughts, Jorn? So th you... there's uh, something. So I mentioned that we, we want to provide better, at least, documentation for 
um, continuous integration. The add-ons, I mentioned the, the BDD stuff earlier. There's other add-ons which are sometimes related to continuous integration. Sometimes there's other stuff like customer searches. There are a few official add-ons that basically no one knows about. They are listed on the QNET site, but then people probably don't look at that page. Um, the idea is to make doors more prominent and put them in, into their own repositories that, so that more people can contribute to those. And there's some plans for QNET itself to like refactor the code base. Currently, there's a basic QNET development happens in a single JS file, and we want to split that up into multiple modules that are easier to to work on, so you have to scroll less while working in QNet, which should also open the way for some other features. For example, QNet actually shows, like we talked about this deep equal searching, which tries to tell you exactly where in your object hierarchy something actually differs. If you have, compare really big objects, it gets really unwieldy, so we want to improve that. Um, for example, only to sh show the exactly which leaves are actually differing and then just show the path to that leaf instead of showing you three pages of like diff output. And uh, just being able to say, let's use this external diff implementation uh, should be pretty useful. So yeah, I think that's that's about it. I can talk about the roadmap. So yeah, pigs. Well, that's awesome. Th thanks for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and QUnit is definitely something I'm going to be looking at in the future because I'm one of those people who tends not to test his front end. <laughs> Joe's going to try and so, punch you through Skype right now. So actually, I'm, I'm coming come out of the that. speaker. So there's, there's one more thing. Um, so the, we mentioned in the beginning this intro to JavaScript testing article. So that that's actually has one important lesson that don't try to unit test your application. It just doesn't work. Like You'll just get frustrated and give up. Uh, try to figure out which parts can I actually put into a like, small module, a library, mm -hmm. maybe a jQuery plugin, and then write unit tests for that. That's so much easier and so much more useful. So awesome focus advice. on testing modules or, or libraries and don't bother testing your application with unit tests. Yeah, that's... And if, if, if you put everything into small modules and test those, then you probably don't even need to bother trying to write tests for your application. Just click through the, the UI and that might already be enough because all the details, the error handling is already covered. Yeah, I, I started doing some of that and playing with, uh, I think I was playing with Jasmine at the time, um, but uh, I fell into this project where the front end is this huge, huge mess of XJS. And yeah, not, not a lot of the logic is really broken out in a way that you can test it. And so... Okay. So that's part of the problem. Um, I'm also curious, though, as far as... Oh, so you... Okay, I, I kind of came across my own answer. I was going to say, so how do you test the the DOM interaction on um, on different pages in your application? And, and that's what you were telling us not to do. And instead, you move that functionality into a module, and then you just inject the DOM elements that it cares about into the page when you run the unit test. Yep, that's... That's usually what works pretty well. All right, cool. Well, let's get into the picks then. Jameson, you want to start us off with picks? So my first pick is um, it's a gesture tracking armband. I think it's called MYO Myo or something. And it it is this band that you put on your arm. It looks like kind of like a sweatband. And it 
um, tracks the electrical signals that your muscles give off when they contract, so when your fingers move. So it can so actually cool. track individual finger movements, and then it has some like gyroscope or accelerometer things to track larger gestures of, of rotating your whole arm or things like that. The intro video looks really cool. It looks like it could all be totally fake as well, so I'm not sure how real or how actually production ready this is, but it looks really cool. So that's getmyo.com. And then the second pick is it's the mailbox app, that app that shows you numbers going up and down and you hope eventually when your number gets low enough that you'll actually be able to use it. And my number finally got low enough. I finally got into it and it's, I think it's brilliant. The, the, their marketing idea to only let a limited number of people in because people want what they can't have. You know, if there's this exclusive club of people that can use this app that, that you can't get into, it kind of makes you want it more. So I think it was a really smart idea of them to show explicitly like this queue of users that are going to be able to use it eventually and where you are in that queue. And the app itself is great too, but I just thought the marketing on that was sweet. Nice. All right, Joe, what are your picks? All right. So for the uh, second week in a row, I think I'm going to be a little uh, self uh, promoting and pick my course just because it actually has a module on key unit. And so if you're curious about using QUnit, I've got a really nice about hour long video on how to use QUnit and getting started with QUnit. And once again, you can get online as a free seven day trial. So you don't have to pay anything. Um, my second pick is the one I'm most excited about. It's called Dragon Box. It's an iOS and Android game. And I think you can get it for both phone and tablet. And Basically, it's a game, and it's an educational game, but unlike every other educational game I've actually seen, this is far more game. You know, it hides the education so well. And it's for kids, and it basically teaches algebra. And I talked with, um, I, I, I got a developer who, I don't know that he worked on it or not, but uh, he's familiar with it, showed it to me, and was talked about. It takes about three hours to get through the whole thing, and by the end of three hours, you basically mastered uh, basic algebra. And it takes like an hour before you realize that there's really any actual math going on. And so I've had my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old playing it and gotten pretty far. And I'm excited to see when they finally finish up, you know, how competent they are. But I've looked through it and played through it. And it's just amazing that it introduces the concepts of algebra and solving equations, basically solving for X in such an effective manner that my kids, you know, they love playing the game. They're completely addicted to it. They, I don't give them enough time on my iPad, but... They absolutely love it. It's a sweet game. It's like five bucks, I think. And again, it's called Dragon Box. Love that. And then for my third pick, I feel a little silly picking this because I don't know tons about it, but I've heard a lot of really awesome things about it. It's Breeze.js. It's a new library for basically handling rich data in your JavaScript applications. And it plays really well with existing MVC tool, um, tools like Angular, Backbone, Knockout, or just anything hand-rolled. And so I've heard uh, some friends of mine have been doing a lot with it and have said really good things about it. So I'm going to pick that as well. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go next with my picks. My first pick is it's, it's an anchor uh, battery pack. It's, it's something that you can plug your phone into and it'll charge it up. And it is super, super nice. Um, really, really uh, enjoyed using it. I actually took it with me when I went to the Parade of Homes in St. George, Utah. And, um, my phone, while we were driving around, I'd play games on it and stuff because I wasn't actually driving. And, um, 
so I'd, I'd plug it into this thing, and it charged my phone up, I think, twice um, over the course of while we were out there, while I was playing the game, and it was still not even halfway empty. So uh, it, it works out real well. Um, it has two USB plugs on it, so I could plug my phone into it and charge something else off it at the same time. And I'm really looking forward to being able to use this as I go to conferences and stuff to maybe charge this up and charge up like my uh, video camera or something and uh, make that all work. So uh, that's one pick, and I'll, I'll put a link off of Amazon for that. The other pick that I want to uh, do is I got an invite from a friend of mine to uh, app.net, which is kind of a Twitter clone, except the the, UI, the user interface is a lot cleaner. There aren't as many people on it, which is kind of a plus and a minus because I don't get a ton of stuff I have to follow. But at the same time, um, you know, not all the people that I care to follow are on there. So app.net, is it, it looks really good. It has uh, some of the same kinds of uh, third-party applications that people can use to use it. So, uh, and it looks like they're opening up a free tier because my invite was for me to get in for free. So uh, I'm thinking eventually people will be able to sign in for free and hopefully they won't do some of the goofy stuff that Twitter's done. And, uh, yeah, those are my picks. Wasn't the whole point of app.net though, that they would always charge. So they, they would never have an incentive to try and make money off of users because they, they would make money off of, of letting users into the service, not of monetizing their accounts and stuff. That's my right, understanding. Basically they're saying, they're, so what they're changed? saying that uh, their product is the product and rather than the users are the product. Yeah. yeah. So that they're was not selling point. you, they're selling you the product. <laughs> well. Yeah, that was my understanding. I, I don't know how that all fits into their strategy, but I guess that's that. So and, anyway, I'm in and I'm in for free. So <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the rumor is is that they're going to open up a free tier. Um, maybe they'll add more features for people who sign up at the higher levels. I don't know. Well, maybe your post yourself. will all be in Pig Latin or Comic Sans. Nice. All right. Well, Yern, what are your picks? So uh, it's funny that you mentioned the anchor. I actually ordered one today since I got an invite to Ingress. I can't really talk about Ingress though, but can look that up. Um, related to the motion detector that Jamison mentioned, I ordered a leap motion last year, and today I got an email that they promised to start shipping that in May. So apparently the developers that sign up as developers already got one, but I'm looking forward to actually trying that myself. It's a really interesting device in that it, um, in, it, it basically just a camera that looks at your finger movements, and it has a really high precision so it can like see just really small movements so it's kind of like minority report except that you don't have to wave your entire arms you can just rest your arms in a desk or chair and then move your fingers around a little bit and it's supposed to already work so uh, looking forward to trying that myself and you can still pre-order them and finally I'd like to pitch something that I um, work on not as part of the jQuery project but it's a jQuery plugin of my own it's called the jQuery validation plugin and I'm actually looking for people to donate for that. I have a pledgy campaign running, and then it's only asking for 4,000 euros. It's uh, still quite some way. This still quite a way to go. It's like 43 percent now, and the the pledgy campaign actually has a lot, pretty detailed roadmap for the plans I have for this bucket. And since there's like at least a few hundred thousand sites using it, according to uh, trends with trends with dot com. 
I hope to reach more people that actually use this plugin to donate to the development so they can put more awesome features in and get a proper website up and running. So, and the, everything about this plugin is just as open source as the jQuery stuff is. So, um, it's not like that you have to pay me to get paid support or something, but you just get the, get a better plugin that does really good form validation and does it really well. I so, think I've actually so, used that before. How long has it been around? Quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I started that 2006, so it's been around a while as well. There's some baggage that I need to get rid of. Uh, since a lot of people using it, they also find a lot of issues that uh, you wouldn't ever see if you just write a small plugin for your own site. But then it also solves a lot of problems that you might have, kind of like jQuery does for for other issues. So... Yeah, if you're using that plugin, I would like to use it and want to see that get better. Uh, I appreciate donations or just spreading the word. Would really be useful to find a company that has a lot of projects where they use this and would be interested in doing a big, bigger donation since having like five or ten euros every once in a while doesn't really get me far. I get it, it's not bad. I appreciate those as well, but it would be interesting to get a company that could afford a bigger donation. Yep. Cool. So if you want to sponsor it, go check it out. You want to put a link in the show notes for us? Yeah, I think you did. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap up the show then. Thanks for coming, Jorn. It was it was really good to talk about this, and, and hopefully we get a few more people testing their code and uh, get some higher quality code out there. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. I hope this uh, helps to promote JavaScript unit testing in general. So I don't really care that much if people use QUnit or something else. Just more people should do JavaScript unit testing. Yep. Yeah, and hopefully that Amen. leads to better code overall. Yep. Amen.